Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bueri, and as always, I'm with the photogenic, but not seismogenic, Dr. Lucy Jones. Today's episode of Getting Through It is sponsored by individual listeners as a project of the nonprofit Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Would you consider sponsoring this podcast too for as little as $5 a month? Because that's how it continues to be there for you week after week. It's simple. Just go to patreon.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And now let's get to it. The title of this episode is about how you can start an earthquake. In Superman, back in 1978, it took a bomb deep in the earth to start an earthquake. People feel like you need something quite powerful to make the earth move, Lucy. Bombs are actually very bad at starting earthquakes. You know, we've been setting off, you know, nuclear bombs in our test sites, and even the biggest nuclear tests might set off a magnitude two or so. Right, right. So no bombs. We know it has nothing to do with what happens at the Earth's surface either, because earthquakes happen at least two miles below the surface. Tell everyone the only way humans can start an earthquake. The only thing that's ever actually caused a change in earthquake rates is changing the fluid pressure in the ground at the depth where the earthquakes happen. Okay, now Lucy, let's explain what is fluid pressure. I'm not sure how many hydrologists are listening right now, so for the rest of us. Okay, rock is actually not solid. There are small cracks in it or little holes that we call pores. And when the ground is saturated, that means there's water in all those holes and we have a pore pressure, which is the pressure in the water. You've probably heard of the water table. That's the top of the water that's filling those pores. And in most situations, the pressure in that water is just the weight of the water column above it. So at the top of the water table, that's just air pressure. 10 kilometers down, it'll be the weight of 10 kilometers of water. So we have a pretty standard distribution of pore pressure. But if you push more water into that same space, the pressure in the water goes up. And how do you know that this is what sets off earthquakes? Well, the time when we first really clearly demonstrated it, it had to be happening this way was in 1966 at the Rocky Mountain Arsenal in Colorado. And the army needed to dispose of nerve gas. So they pumped it below the water table. They wanted to make sure that they weren't going to get it into the water supply. But that meant they were pumping extra fluids into the pores at the depth at which earthquakes can happen, about five kilometers down. And they started setting off earthquakes. But actually, the military was not announcing to the public that it was pumping nerve gas into the ground. So we just saw these earthquakes showing up. And there's some rather famous geophysics studies looking at these sudden new earthquakes and finally being able to get the information and put it together that it was being caused by the pumping. So why would changing the pore pressure set off earthquakes? The ability to get a rock to move is going to be what the frictional coefficient of the fault is. You have some pressure across the fault. We call it the normal stress. That's what's pushing it together. And then to push sideways, you have to overcome that pressure holding it in place, controlled by a frictional coefficient. When we have a higher than normal pore pressure, what we're seeing is like that extra pressure is sort of taking up some of that normal stress. So you need less sideways stress to overcome the friction. 
So basically, when you pump water at depth, it changes the pressure so that the natural friction, the natural pressure that these rocks are pushing is more easily overcome. Right. It's like, and actually the equation ends up being you take the normal stress that was holding it in place and subtract the pore pressure and then multiply that by the frictional coefficient to give the stress that you actually need. People sometimes talk about lubricating, and it's not lubricating like oil reducing the frictional coefficient. It's reducing the stress that's holding things in place. So what are some examples in real life that you've seen of this happening outside of that Rocky Mountain arsenal back in 1966? The most common one, and it's really quite common, are what we call reservoir-induced earthquakes which means when you build a dam and you impound water behind it, you've now added to the water column and add the weight of all that water is increasing the pressure in the rock underneath. And we see reservoirs causing earthquakes quite commonly. Usually they're pretty small. The Aswan Dam in Egypt, when it was impounded, set off a magnitude five. The biggest one we've ever seen associated with the reservoir is actually a six and a half in Kazakhstan from a huge 200 meter high dam. So it was a lot of extra water. So why do we see so many earthquakes around geothermal plants? Right now we went from water, but then we have these geothermal plants which are taking water out of the ground, not putting it in, right? In some places. So if you have a geothermal plant at an active volcano, you actually don't see a lot of earthquakes coming along because of that activity, because they're just pumping out the groundwater, which is already very hot. It's not really any different than a water well. Drawing out water out of a standard well doesn't usually set off earthquakes either. But in other regions, especially like here in California, you maybe have to go a bit deeper to get to the really hot rock. And there they pump in cold water and then pump out hot water. And that process changes the water pressure at whatever depth they are pumping in. And there are several plants here in California that have been associated with a high level of triggered earthquakes connected to whatever they're doing they're producing at the geothermal plant. One of the things that's important to remember, though, is that you can set off earthquakes and you might think, well, so what? So you have a lot of little earthquakes. The problem is this is a process that starts an earthquake. But remember that the size of an earthquake is determined not by how it starts, but how it stops. How far down a fault will the rupture run after it's gotten started? When we first saw the Rocky Mountain Arsenal idea, we thought, hey, maybe we can go in and pump water into the San Andreas Fault and we get all sorts of little earthquakes and then we never have a big one. One problem is, of course, you potentially set off a big one. Okay, wait till after the big earthquake and then we'll do it and never allow it to build up. But then we started recognizing that you can have really big earthquakes after you've just had a big earthquake. So nobody talks about pumping into the San Andreas Fault anymore. With knowing all this to be true, why are companies and agencies allowed to pump water into the ground? I think back to, I think it was 2017, when there were more earthquakes in Oklahoma than in California because of the wastewater pumping due to fracking. Well, you know, the government has to decide to make a law to say you can't do that. And in fact, after Oklahoma got all those extra earthquakes, they did change their regulations, reduced the amount of water that was being pumped in, and stopped the extra earthquakes. People often think of this as being associated with fracking. And fracking itself tends to only change the water pressure at very shallow depths. So what earthquakes that get triggered by the fracking tend to be quite small. The problem is that many of the ways in which they do it create a very toxic wastewater. And it's the disposal of that 
which is often at greater depths, just like with the nerve gas, they want to get it below the water table and not contaminate the aquifers we use for drinking water. In California, the law requires oil companies to keep the quantity of fluid in the ground the same, to not allow it to change. Back in the 50s, there were earthquakes being set off because of oil reservoirs being so depleted they actually were collapsing. So the law says they have to pump water back in to replace any oil they take out. And ever since that law was enacted decades ago, we have not seen extra earthquakes associated with oil production in California. So we see that in some places there are regulations and they tend to work. So it's good to know that there's very little humans can do to start earthquakes and that bombs really aren't part of that equation. What advice do you have to make sure we don't start more damaging earthquakes with this known cause of water being injected into the ground? Well, there's two things. If your pumping is setting off earthquakes, stop pumping. That's actually one of the systems that have been put in place. It's really a red light system. When you have some level of earthquakes, you cut it out. And the second, since the earthquakes we induce can be any size, don't impound a reservoir across the San Andreas Fault or really any active fault. That's the one thing that can be asking for trouble. Well, let's leave it at that. And until next time, I'm John Buery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a sponsor at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.